Hello, and happy Friday again. Last week, we listened to the normal episode with Bennett, and this week, I'm super excited to be able to share this episode of year one that I did with him. So long story short, if you have never heard one of my year one episodes in the past, what I do is I talk to these successful entrepreneurs about what exactly they would do if they were starting over in their first year. This way, we can all get ideas and learn from them, both from what they did the first time around, as well as from the other mistakes that they made the first year that they would correct if they had to restart and do it all over again. So I know that it's super helpful to me, which is mainly why I do it, because I'm selfish and I want to learn how to be a better businessman. But also, I do it so that everyone out there who listens to this podcast and wants to start a business can learn real practical step-by-step advice for what they should do. So you're going to get very, very detailed information about how they would start these businesses in their industries. And you'll also get, obviously, a little bit more general stuff about what entrepreneurs should do the first year. But the main thing and the main focus is always providing the most specific and actionable details as possible so that you all can learn and take notes and start your own rockstar businesses as well. So Without further ado, here's this week's year one episode with Bennett Maxwell. Well, how much do they cost? Well, they only cost 50 cents. I'm going to sell them for a dollar. That's never going to work. Even though you think you have a 100% markup, that's never going to work. It has to be 400% because you have to sell the widget to Walmart for a dollar. Then Walmart has to sell it for $2. What is up, everyone? I'm Kyle, and I am the host and founder of the Freedom to Fail podcast and Fail Nation, a community where failing while pursuing our dreams is a positive and taking uncertain chances is celebrated. This podcast is for those who have a dream of starting a business or doing something they've always dreamed of, but have been held back by their fears. Our purpose is to share the unsuccessful stories of successful people so that you can learn how to take the first steps towards achieving your dreams. You deserve to live a life full of freedom and free of fear. Let's do this. Now, let's transition over into the year one section. So, what I want to do is just basically go over what you would do if you were creating this, like a cookie business from scratch, pretty much just something in this industry for like the first year coming from the idea stage. How do you test the idea? How do you figure out what you're going to charge for it? Um, how do you find customer demand? All that kind of stuff. So let's start about pre-launch stuff first. So, I mean, let's just talk like sweets. You want to open up a bakery. Let's talk about pies, for example, the E-Myth, okay. a pie shop. Yeah, yeah. The pie so shop. say you have a pie, uh, you're really good at baking pies and you want to start selling it. The first thing, obviously, is that you cannot get a patent on food. Like you right. can't protect all of that. So you are not going to have a, a monopoly on pies or on cookies or on cakes or whatever else you're selling in this kind of space. So how would you go about finding out if your product is actually good enough and uh, to sell and get feedback from the customers. How would you test that? So the Startup Ignition course, this is what they teach, which is cool. So, I mean, I'm going to explain what I learned, but it's a three-day course and you freaking learn how to be a lot smarter than I am. (laughs) So the wow factor test, and I think you can Google that. And uh, anyways, it was the wow factor test. um, And I'm sure there's a YouTube video on it. And basically you you pitch your idea to people, you know, you get, get 10 people in a room, or 20 people in a room. And if you're at pies, you know, it's like, Hey, I'm going to tell you my business plan and you get free pie if you come, mm-hmm. right? That's the incentive to show up. 
or it's your friends and family they're going to show up to support you but they all show up then you you do your presentation to them you know just a few minutes and then they have to rate it immediately like 1 to 10 and then if you have I'm probably I'm probably messing this up but anyways basically you need a, a 7 idea right off the bat mm-hmm. if it's a 4 to 6 you need to go or lower than a 6 basically you need to go adjust your pitch and then start it all over with a different group and then you go through these different these five different hats. And I'm not going to remember which one, but you go through and you say, okay, we're going to put on our red hat. And the red hat is a logic hat. I don't want to hear anything about what's good about the product. Or, I mean, I don't even know if logic hat is one. But one is, I think the black hat is like the, the, the uh, maybe it's the negative. So just tell me the, the cons of what you heard in my pitch. Yeah. Nothing else. Don't come and say, I like this, but mm-hmm. just the cons. And then you put on the, the red hat. And then that's just the pros. And then you put on the yellow hat and then it's the logistics. And then you put on these five different hats and you get feedback and you have to stay in, you know, that hat's character. And then you go around the room to your 10 people and uh, it's very, very valuable. And you get a lot of good ideas on that. That's a really good, like, I guess, systematic way to measure it rather than just like ask somebody. Now, the other thing you talk to your grandma, Hey grandma, I'm going to do this. That's cool. You know, you're going to kill it. Okay, well, would you give me money to support me? No. Okay, well, you're not going to kill it. She's just being nice. Yeah. Right? (laughs) So it's like you you ask for a check. Uh Even if you're not going to take the check, you ask for the check. You're like, well, to get me started, I need 500 bucks. Uh I need 50 bucks. I need $5,000, whatever it is. Like, would you buy this? Would Can I pre-sell you some pies? I'm going to build this out. This is my vision. You told me I'm going to kill it. Will you buy 10 pies for me right now? I'm selling them for 10 bucks a piece. I just need $100. I'll get these pies to you in six months. That's how you actually know when you start getting these little checks. Okay. <laughs> Rather than just like, is your idea? Yeah, of course, honey. It's great. You're an all-star. You're going to yeah. kill it. Ask people for money. And don't don't go to your grandma first. Try to get even just small checks from other people. Yeah. And if you're getting those checks, then that's also further validation. There's a quote from uh, he's an internet entrepreneur named Russell Brunson, mm-hmm. and he says people vote with their wallets, and so that is exactly what he talks about there, and it's just 100 percent true. Like people can say whatever they say, but it doesn't mean anything unless they're willing to open up their wallets. And yeah. So he says even in like your testing phase. Uh, I haven't done this <laughs> to a certain extent, but he says that even in when you're in your testing phase or your trial phase, you should always be trying to sell it. You should maybe sell like half of it of what you're selling, like or maybe a slice of pie and say like, hey, uh, would you buy this for $2? Okay, give me $2. Mm-hmm. And then you actually get to see if people really mean what they say or yep. if they were just saying it to be nice. Yep. So. No, that, yeah. So de- definitely that's what I would go to the, cool. the wow factor test. Mm-hmm. And then I would transition to actually selling something at a very small scale, but get people to give you cash. Yeah. You can give them whatever guarantees you want. You can pay them back in two months if it doesn't work out, but they have to hand you a dollar bill. I love that. That is, that is one thing that we haven't heard on this year one section before this year one podcast with other guests. And I love that. That is 100% true. Mm-hmm. So going along with that, after you have a product and you find out that it is viable, that you go through the just like the survey phase with all of them and find out the idea is above a seven and that it's good and you want to move forward with it, how do you go about pricing, deciding what price to sell your product at? Because obviously you have to be able to make sure that it is, number one, doable for the customer, that they'll pay it. But number two, that you have enough margin to be able to support yourself now and also growth in the future and not just undercut yourself right from the beginning. 
two answers and I'm not an expert about this. Yeah. What I do is I'm selling the same product as a lot of other companies. So I match their pricing. Yeah. But to, in order to do that, I need to make sure that my costs are the same or lower. Yeah. So that's the first thing is know your costs. And then is that scalable? Cause it's, you know, Oh, I'm going to sell these little widgets, mm-hmm. right? Well, how much do they cost? Well, they only cost 50 cents. I'm going to sell them for a dollar. That's never going to work. Even though you think you have a hundred percent markup, that's never going to work. It has to be 400%. Yeah. Cause you have to sell the widget to Walmart for a dollar. And then Walmart has to sell it for $2. Yeah. It always has to be a 4% markup on widgets, which you're like, well, what if I sell a, a billion widgets and I make a 50%? Well, you're just not going to do it. The margins aren't there. Yeah. So like you have to, like, that's just a rule of thumb. It has to be at least four, um, four X mm-hmm. if you're selling a consumer product. Of now, your is that point. similar in a bakery type of situation since you don't have to go through a wholesale or anything? I would imagine like I, I try to apply that. Like are okay. we selling this for four times what the raw ingredients cost? Yeah. Not factored in See, all that the makes, That makes sense that. because I've heard like I've talked to a few other business people, a few other like donut shops or just like uh, other bakery owners. And they've always said that you want to keep your food costs in the dessert range generally between like 20 to 25 percent something Mm -hmm. like that if you're in that range then it's doable but anything above 25 percent which would be four times uh then if you're above that that's when you're going to really cut your yeah so you're making your donut you know if you're going to sell it for two bucks it needs to cost you 50 cents yeah and raw ingredients because your labor is going to be a little bit anyways kind of go by some of these rules I haven't done this. I'm going to give advice that I haven't done. Yeah, no. But I know you can jump into public companies. So like who sells desserts that's public, right? Who sells what? And then you go look at their freaking books, you know? Yeah. What is their, What are their margins? What are their costs? And what are they selling it for? So pricing out competition, knowing your costs, and then maybe comparing it to uh, somebody's information that's public. Love that. So about let's talk about opening up a storefront because obviously – Opening up a pie shop, you have to have the storefront location and all of that. How do you know or how do you go about finding out how much it's going to cost to be able to open up a storefront so that you make sure that you have the budget? Um, it is pretty difficult because <laughs> um, there's so there's so much variation. You go yeah. to a contractor, you're like, hey, how much is it going to cost me? Well, I don't you know. Where are the plans? I was like, yeah. okay. What plans? You need need plans. Okay, then you go pay an architect to draw your plans for you and actually conceptually. So a lot of steps that go in it. One, make sure that the layout's good. And then you price out all of your equipment. You get multiple bids on everything. Then you're taking all of that and whether the plans, at least it's just kind of a sketch. Yeah. You also need the interior design because it's like, well, I want a counter here, but what's the counter made out of? Mm -hmm. Well, I want some lights right here, but what kind of lights? How high is the ceiling? Are you dropping the ceiling? You're not dropping the ceiling. So all of these little things that I don't, I still don't know the answers to a lot of them. But what you do is you just find somebody that does. So you find a contractor and say, look, I've never done this. You just, again, if you're telling your story to everybody, then somebody's going to introduce you to a contractor. Yeah. Hey, I've never done this. Can you walk me through how to do it? And you'll, you'll get people that say, yes, I don't know the questions to ask Mr. Contractor. Where do we start? Well, do you want your ceiling to be dropped or do you want it, you know, cool. yeah. an open ceiling? I don't know. What do you recommend? What would you do if you were me? That's, what, that's my question to everybody. Yeah. What would you do if you were me? If this was your business, what would you do? And 90% of the time I take the recommendation. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what would you make the counters of? Where would you put the counter at if you were to do this? Like there's equipment design companies or companies that sell you equipment and they do the designs. And it's like, well, where would you do the – how would you do the layout? So – I would really heavily rely on other people's knowledge, but I would kind of go in that order. Find the people, ask those questions, ask the what would you do. 
just be very blunt with them. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. This is yeah. my first time. I don't even know the questions to ask. What would you ask yourself if you were me? Yeah. Okay. I love that. So going along with that, obviously opening up a storefront costs a lot of money and you have to have that kind of financial backing and stuff. But let's say you don't have $200,000 saved up in your bank to be able to open it up. What are the other avenues that you would explore to be able to find financing mm-hmm. um, so that you can be able to open it up without having to wait 10 years to save up $200,000 or whatever? Yeah. If you have decent credit, you're going to go the SBA route. So everything that we've sold so far, nobody's gone through the SBA, but we will probably close two dozen in the next month or two because of people, we just found a really good SBA provider. So I'll tell you what they do. Uh-huh. And as every SBA is a little bit different. But they typically require zero collateral, 680 credit score, and they're going to loan you 80%. So 200000 is a great number because that's about what a dirty dough costs all in. You know, your equipment, your franchise fee, your build out, your signage, your tech, everything. So you come up with 40000 cash, then they give you 160 cash. It's typically a 10-year note. Uh, you have 10 years to pay it off. Six to 8% interest is kind of what we're seeing right now. Okay. So on a hundred and I did the math with somebody like, hey, let's overshoot it. What if it costs you $220,000? Well, then you would put in $44,000. Then you'd get an SBA loan for $176,000. And at a 7% interest rate, your payments would be $2,043 a month. Just because I did it this morning, I remember. So it's like, okay, well, if your business is cash flowing $10,000 a month, then then that's fine, right? So instead of paying $220,000 and pulling in $10 a month, or 120 a year, I'm only going to put in 44,000. And instead of getting 10 a month, I'm going to get eight a month, eight times 12, 96,000. I'm going to go the $96,000. That's a over hundred percent ROI. So using a little bit of leverage, that's your go-to because that's going to be the most favorable. They do a pre-approval process. The one that we use, they pride themselves in doing like a, a 95 and a half percent accurate pre-approval within 72 hours. That's so really cool. one of our advisors, uh, Steve Hart, he owns Property Management Inc., largest property management franchise in the nation. And anyways, he, he gave us his lender. So again, cool. I kind of found him and then he connected it with us. But SBA is definitely the, the way to go. First option, if you can't get an SBA loan, then kind of friends and family yeah. is probably next. That's what I was thinking. Looking, looking for an investor. But if you can get the SBA loan, now they, they do you do personally guarantee it. So there's risk involved yeah. for sure. Cool. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's very good to know. So obviously you want to be able to get to the point where you now have 10,000 in cash flow that's coming in or obviously way more than that every single month so that you can afford it. So let's talk about the launch now, which kind of lines up perfectly because that is exactly what you guys are going into. So what would you do or what are you guys doing right now to kind of drive word of mouth for your launch and just making sure that you're successful on day one, week one, and like month one. Yeah. So I, I've been hearing this for freaking forever. Build a personal brand and I've never done it. And like I I, I could probably check my Facebook right now. I, I did a post this morning just saying I joined this mastermind a few months ago uh-huh. and it's going really well. And I have like, again, I'm like scroll through my social media. I post on my kid's birthday and sometimes my wife's birthday. Sometimes I forget, yeah. you know. I mean, I'll get 30, 40 comments on a stupid post that I have a few hundred followers or like I have less than a thousand followers on Instagram, you know, but just because I'm active on it, I I get people always like, oh, when's it open and when's it open? So just yesterday I drove by the vineyard location Uh and it say like, you know, I just, maybe I put 
coming soon. I don't know. Um, but like everybody's like, what day, what day, what day, what day, yeah. what day, what day, you know? And so that's, that's a very small way. It's not going to have a big impact for sure, but that's just something that I've been experiencing. And like, man, I'm selling a lot of franchises actually by doing this personal brand, doing these podcasts has helped as well. But like how many people are actually going to go buy a cookie? Yeah. For, right. Not that many. The big thing is we had a 30 day leading up. We started ads. Okay. So we used our marketing company. There's some cool ads, you know, some geofencing. It's like if they walked into this cookie company, we're going to retarget them and send them our ads. And we're going to give them a discount to come for the first time. And we're going to give them a free cookie the first time and then a discount to return. And then yeah. after that, typically, you know, you have a much higher likelihood. So social media um, ads and a lot of it is, you know, geofencing and geotargeting the right person yeah. leading up to that. But we typically, I mean, we're planning for 30 days running the ads and then you have a VIP night. So it's like close friends and family kind of getting the, the employees yeah. their first little taste. Then you have a soft opening, um, which is not, you're actually selling cookies and it's kind of open to anybody, but your grand opening is very public. Like this is our yeah. grand opening. You get a free cookie. Everybody's going to show up for a free cookie. Yeah. You need to be prepared for that. Yeah. And then we also threw up those billboards. You know, we have six digital like rotating billboards right now. Um, just to kind of like, Hey, it's coming soon, coming soon. And I get somebody message me every day. Hey, I saw your billboard. And I'm like, sick. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, no, that's an awesome idea. So after that, then let's say that all that works, you guys are crushing it month one or day one, all that the first few months, then once kind of the novelty of it mm -hmm. wears off, what would you do to keep those customers coming back? Because that's when you're going to want to start working really hard with like repeat customers yep. and all that good stuff. So a lot of it is uh you get repeat customers, you can do it with like a discount here or there. Like what our model is that was the chip model, right? That everybody copied was weekly rotating flavor. So how do you get somebody to come back? Well, you release a cookie they've never had. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of unique in ours, but text message marketing is kind of the best thing. Rewards program, Hey, you know, if you don't want to do the discounts, like, you know, you can do discounts, but that's all. Also, it's, hey, you've earned a free cookie. Come 100%. back in. Um, hey, you I can't tell you how many times I've gone to McDonald's because I've gotten just yeah. like a free reward or Chick-fil-A actually because they will just randomly give away like free chicken sandwiches sometimes to their rewards members. And you're and like, I'm like, okay, I'm there. well, I'm going to go and I'm going to buy fries and a drink. So I still end up spending. A yeah, they're recouping money, their but, money. But yeah, text message marketing. Um Changing up the menu seems to be working really well. An another item and then email marketing as well, trying to get those repeat customers. Awesome. And then you, you, you stay on your social media ads. Yeah. You do retargeting ads. So you know the difference between somebody who's never tried your product and somebody who has, and that ad looks different. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Love that. So let's talk about also customer referral type of thing, because obviously word of mouth mm -hmm. is extremely important for just any customers or any business growth. When, when a customer tells someone else about it, then that obviously just shoots up the trajectory of growth for the company. So with you guys, have you guys thought about what you're going to do to be able to drive more customer interactions with mm -hmm. you guys and stuff like that? Yeah. So we're working with a company called scavengers right now and they do these like epic uh, scavenger hunts that they have like these crazy tasks that you have to go do and they uh -huh. last a few months um, and then anyways, it hasn't been finalized, but I'm going to say it anyway, what well, we're going to give away a mobile franchise. So a hundred thousand dollars and you can go make a lot of money off of that anyways. And then you get a lot of people to subscribe and, and, uh, things like that. But that's one of the things that, um, we're doing. Another one is, 
a, a, an augmented reality company. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these other companies, they will like, they'll, you could pay a dollar for like a thank you sticker or a congratulations. So we're doing that same thing, but it has a QR code. So it says, happy birthday, Kyle. You know, and you're talking about like a sticker on a sticker box on our box. Yeah. yeah. Scan me for the full message. Right. And I, and you, you scan it. You don't have to download an app. And then just your web browser pops up. You point it at the box of cookies and then fireworks start popping out, you know, cookie fireworks maybe. Yeah. And, it, and it says, happy birthday, Kyle, you know, something like that. So it, one, there's just generalized messages that are like a buck, throw a sticker, and then you can customize it to uh-huh. yourself or your business. So trying to get, uh, I guess I'm, we're on repeat customers still. No, <laughs> no just, this is not like word of mouth. Oh, word of mouth. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something like you go into the store and we have, we're, we're developing these QR codes as well. So you point it at the dirty dough sign mm-hmm. and it like comes to life. So it's like, Hey, you know, go, go stand next to the dirty dough. Like one of them is a tower of cookies, like the leaning tower of pizza. And then you have to go like put support your arms up and support okay. it. Okay. And then what are you going to do when you post it? You're going to share that. Right. Yeah. So trying to get people to share that is a pretty big push with this augmented reality stuff. Yeah. We think it's a lot more giftable. And then same with this scavengers thing. It's all about user generated content. It's like the, the tasks are, you know, find out where the first cookie was invented and take a picture, a selfie yep. in front of the first factory and you yep. have to go fly there or something like that. Like, these are crazy quests, yeah. but it's all about, you know, do a dance inside of a dirty dough store, do a dance doing this or do a, you know, shout out and um, just really promoting people to, to share that. Cool. And what I've learned is, you can have a million followers, but Facebook, unless you pay to boost your post, they're not showing it to a million people. No matter how many engagement you have, like you just can't do it. Yeah. If you're just a person, you're not a business account. They don't throttle that. They, they will let those things have all the exposure. You know, the, the exposure. Yeah. So, working with some other vendors um, to try to get u- user generated content and cool. uh, yeah, that's awesome. That definitely p- makes pushing sense that out. Sure. Yeah. So the last thing that I want to talk about here is about like the entrepreneur themselves. Okay. What would you say would be like the top three things that any entrepreneur would need to learn or do in the first year to make sure that they are set up for success in the future? So I'm very big on partnerships. So if you have a partnership, one of the slides from this uh, training that I did showed two partners, one owns 50%, one owns 50%. It's showing their capitalization table, who owns what and what they put in all of that. And we're not even talking about partnerships, whatever, but, and he goes, what's wrong with this slide? And he was like, what, what do you mean? What's wrong with that? I don't know. And he's like the partnership, like 50, 50 is never the answer. Never, ever do business 50, 50. Too many businesses will fail because you have a disagreement, right? And there's and no way there's to no resolve way to, it. Yeah. There's no way to resolve it. Interesting. So if it's 51, 49, then if you have a disagreement, hopefully you don't need to be like, oh, I'm the 51% owner, right? If it comes to that, at least you have a resolution. Yeah. You still have the same goals, 50-50 partners of let's work together and let's be 50-50 partners. It's not about the money. Do 50.1%. Yeah. But it is about if we need to make a decision, we're not going to destroy the business because we disagree on the direction yeah. that we're going to go immediately. And then along with partners is vesting. You have a partner that has 50% or 49% of your company. After a year, they step out because they found this other cool opportunity. Are you going to keep growing that business even though they're getting 50%, 49% of Every dollar that comes in, they get it and they get the equity when you sell. Like, no, you're not going to, you're going to resent them. Right. So you set up vesting period. So if they leave within a certain time, they don't retain any of their equity anyways. But, but I mean, these are YouTube videos that you can watch. The typical vesting is four years. Okay. If you step out of the business within a year, you get zero equity. Out of the year mark, you get 25%. 
So Kyle, you, you come on and you own 25 or you own 10% of dirty dough. Yeah. If you leave at day 300, you're you leaving zero. with nothing. If you leave at day 366, you get 25%. So you're going to, you're going to, well, 7.5%, 7.5% is retained towards the company. Oh yeah. Goes to like a reverse dilution. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would retain two and a half percent forever Duh. because, yeah, yeah, yeah. because you've been there and you have put in the work. Mm-hmm. Now, after that one year cliff, you have, you've already vested, you know, a, a quarter of it. So what's left? Well, there's 36 months left in the four years, right? There's three years left. And it's just month by month. Yeah. The remaining equity is split month by month. So if you okay. leave after two years, you get exactly half of it. Because the thought behind that is, well, you have put in the work for two years. Yeah. And those two years were very valuable. They're not valuable at 10%, but they are at 5%. Gotcha. So setting up a vesting agreement cool. and then defining those, that's partnership. So do your partnership correctly or else you're, you, there's legal work. Scary. And that's like one of the biggest reasons why businesses fail. Okay. Um and the question was just three things that entrepreneurs they need to you know, either learn or do in the first year. Um, hiring and finding the right who's, right? So if you're trying to build a – if you think you have a really good idea and you're going to get some good traction, I'll go find the who's and start with a board of advisors. So the way that we've set ours up um, and that they're, I understand that they're typically set up, not that I have a ton of experience with this, but we brought on a senior advisor and we gave them a percent and a half of the company. Subject to vesting as well, because what if he doesn't answer his phone? Yeah. That's a two-year vesting period, though, with a, a quarter of it vesting every six months. So okay. after a year, they leave. They would get half. If after six months, they leave. They typically don't leave. You will fire them because you're like, dude, you're not answering my phone calls. Yeah. Then you don't, you're don't. you not out a percent and a half. You're only out half a percent or whatever. So we have a senior advisor. And then you know this guy, John Richards, took uh, Yellow Pages online, the first company that did that. Merged with another company. They went public as InfoSpace. Okay. So they uh, IPO'd. And then he's invested in like 100 companies since then. Just a really savvy business person. He ran the BYU Entrepreneurship Program. Top five in the nation when he was there. You know, yeah. I, mean, I think it still is. Um, so we found him. And then it's like, okay, well, who's been there, done that? Well, Steve Hart has. He has a franchise in Lehigh, Utah. That's the largest in his industry. And he was like second to the game. Uh-huh. There was another one. He was second and he surpassed them. So I'm like... Well, that's, that's a cool story. Like, I, I want to learn what Steve did. Steve, will you be on our advisory board, right? And Steve's like, sure, I'd love to, right? So do you give them, each person on the board, you give 1.5% type um, of thing? The other advisors, you're giving a quarter okay. of a percent to 1%. Okay. And then we we also just brought on another advisor, Eric Van Horn. He has the largest uh, franchise podcast, Franchise Secrets. Largest franchisor mastermind, franchisee mastermind, has been a franchisor, franchisee for multiple concepts. Anyways, just like really big in the franchise space. And he's been helping us out a ton as well. So you get like these, you can get these big players that want to help you, even though you're a little company and you're giving them a very small percentage of it. And then typically the expectation is for a a tip, a a normal advisor, it's four to five hours a month. Yeah. So about an hour a week. We never use them an hour a week. Upfront, use them a little bit more and then you kind of stop using as much. Yeah. And then the senior advisor is more available for that. But that's how we've structured that. Um, and that is so powerful one, because it's like, I have this big decision. How do I make it? Steve, what would you do? John, what would you do? Eric, what would you do? And it's like, they've been there, done that. Interesting. So very, very helpful for that. And then the other thing is who wants to invest in a freaking, who wants to buy a franchise that Bennett Maxwell bought from somebody and he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Nobody does. But do you want to buy a franchise that these other people Believe in it, that they're putting in their time and a CEO that's putting in her time, you know, that 
that's done this for 40 years and, and grown brands, you know, almost 687 locations, right? They're, they're not going to trust me because I haven't built up the reputation in the food space. Yeah. But I can bring on key players. Josh still knows the production space. Like who else grew a company from zero to 70 million in two and a half years in Utah, right? Like <laughs> nobody's done that. Yeah. So that's who cool. to trust. And, and anyway, so I would bring on the advisory board and then work on the corporate team as well of that. like who's been there, who's done that. That's how I'm going to grow. So I would say those are kind of my, 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 my three steps. Yeah. Figure out your partnership. And then do an advisory board mm-hmm. and, and then the corporate. And then the corporate. And, and those aren't in any order, but just do all three. That is amazing. Honestly, this has been super educational for me. And it's just awesome being able to see the mindset of just an entrepreneur of how they would go through and start it. Because with the reason I love doing the the year one section and the year one podcast is just that it is exactly what you were saying. Like mm-hmm. with having the advisory board, you listen to what everyone would do and then you take all of that, and then you choose what's best for you. But you at least are getting all of these like expert opinions and all of these this advice. And I feel like I, I'm lucky enough to be able to do that with awesome people such as yourself. I get to listen to how they would do it. And then I take what works for what I'm doing mm-hmm. and apply it into my business in the way that works for me. So I just, again, am super grateful that you took the time today to be able to talk to me. That was and fun. I cannot wait to be able to go try out some of your cookies. Sweet, man. <laughs> Perfect. I'll, I'll to get you some right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I did making it and recording it with Bennett. It was an amazing time. He's an awesome guy and he just really knows his stuff. I think for me, my two biggest takeaways that I would say for you guys to remember is number one, know your numbers. Regardless of what industry you are in, you need to know what your cost of goods sold should be. If you're in the restaurant industry, then you need to know what your food costs are. And like we talked about on here, if that is what you are wanting to start, then you should try and find a way to keep your costs around 25, 30%, max, max, max. My second number one takeaway, which is a redundant way to say that, my second takeaway is find mentors like he talked about. I loved the idea of finding like a board of advisors And being able to just offer a super small uh, percentage of ownership in the company in order to get access to all of their knowledge. Because when you think of those kind of people, usually they would charge tons and tons of money, obviously, to get involved because they are very busy and they have a lot of things pressing for their attention. But if you can find a way to incentivize them with a little bit of equity then they're a lot more likely to join and to be there every step of the way to help guide you with the things that you don't know what to do. So keep all these things in mind. And until next week, keep filling your way towards achieving your dreams.